0: Uh, so we are here to celebrate our mothers, and that is true, uh, but we are here more so to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and the change that comes through Him, and today I want to talk to you about change. I, 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 God has put this on my heart, and it was, it's something that I just I couldn't walk away from. I had to do it. Um, so our 20-somethings, last week we had a, a, an excursion. Uh, I called it a field trip, and what I said was, I want you to be here at the church at 430, and we're going to have a field trip. Now, our, <laughs> our 20-somethings flipped out. I mean, they had their own trip when I said that. Like, they, were, they it's, it was so crazy how much hype got behind this thing. Like, they were like, I don't know what we're going to do. There's no telling where he's going to take us. You know, there's no telling what we're going to do. And, and it, they were so stoked about what happened that they were actually here on time. I told them to be here at 4.30. There was people waiting out of the parking lot at 425. Like, this was a miracle of Jesus. I'm talking about our 20-somethings were like early for small groups. It was crazy. I mean, they were like, now they're usually on time. Don't get me wrong. They're usually on time. But to be early like they were, and for everybody to be here at 430 on the dot, they were so anxious about whatever it was that was going to happen. So we had a, a, yeah, hallelujah, that's right. We had a field trip. Um, and, And what I told them is, Last week, if you were here, you know that we packed 50,000 meals for children in Haiti. Does everybody remember that, that was here last week? What an amazing thing that was. John Mark, you're a week late, man. Why weren't you here last week, you know? That, that's, that's on me. I should have had you here last week and this week. I should have done. I'm sorry, man. So anyway, um, John Mark is from Haiti, by the way, in case you didn't know that. He didn't say, you didn't say that, by the way, when you were up here. You know that? Yeah, I'm sorry. Anyway, so... So we packed 50,000 meals for Haiti, and what I told them uh, is that I, 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 I feel this on my heart that I, it is, look, it's driving me crazy. I mean, like, yeah, I am so overtaken by this mentally that, that like, I, I, I just I have studied and studied and studied about it that, that I just, I had to get it out. And, and most of the people that live in this town know a little bit, but not very much about the Freedom Riders bus that was burned in 1961 out on Highway 202. Am I right? Most people know just enough to know that, hey, there's a, there's a little plaque out there and, and there's maybe some little memorials in downtown Anderson somewhere, and we, we know that, that, that what, kind of what the Freedom Riders were about. But what I did was I took our 20 somethings and we, we took a, a little trip around to the different monuments, but before we did, I kind of gave them the background of the Freedom Riders. And, I thought I was done. Like I thought, once I did that with the twenty somethings, I thought that that was good. You know, God was going to take this burden away, and like I was going to be able to move on to the next thing, and we're going to celebrate Mother's Day today. But it hasn't happened that way. And today, I'm going to tell you about the Freedom Riders. Um, I, I I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm going to tell you about the Freedom Riders, and I'm going to tell you what happened. And this is an ugly, dark spot in our our part of the world. Like like our part. Uh, in the Freedom Riders whole thing, I mean, we're known in Anniston, Alabama for burning a Freedom Riders bus. That's what we're known for. Like, people all over the world know that happened in Anniston, Alabama. I think that we should know what it was all about and what happened. It, May the 14th, 1961, is when it happened, right? That's Tuesday, will be the 58th anniversary of that church or that, that bus bombing. 58 years ago. Now, what I want you to take away from this today is I want you to understand the transformation that has happened in that 58 years. I want you to think about it. And I want you to think about what happened 58 years ago compared to what happened in this place last week when we packed 50,000 meals for children in Haiti. That's a drastic transformation from what happened 58 years ago. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you know that, that, that the, the bus bombing that happened was the result of the Ku Klux Klan, okay? And that sounds crazy for me to even say that from the pulpit, but it was the KKK, right? The KKK, they actually are, do you know what they are? They are Christian extremists. That's really what they are. You know, they're, they're a Muslim extremist, and then there are Muslim people, and then there are Christian extremists, and then there are Christian people. And I want you to know that there's a difference. And the people in the KKK were literally doing what they were doing in the name of Christ. And that is how far out of whack we can get if we are not careful and if we do not pay attention to truth and what the truth of God's Word says. And I want us to look at what God's Word says, but first I want to tell you what happened back in 1961. In 1961, on May the 4th, there was this group of people. They were with CORE. It's the Congress of Racial Equality, headed up by Jim Farmer, okay? And what they said was that they, there were these laws, that they, the Supreme Court rulings that had said that it was unconstitutional to segregate uh, bus stops and and. As you travel through interst- uh, on the interstates, as you travel through these interstate stops, it's un- unlawful for you to segregate blacks and whites, okay? And they wanted to test this in the South because what they knew was, even though the federal government recognized that, the state governments did not, especially in the South. Especially in the South where segregation was still alive and well. They did this in 1947 because in 1946 there was another court ruling that said, that it was unlawful to segregate buses. So in 1947, they took the journey of reconciliation where they had black folks and white folks riding together, and they were all men at this time, to test these laws to see if they were really enforced everywhere or if they were something the federal government just said, but there was nothing behind them. But in 1961, as a result of them saying in 1960 that it is unlawful for you to segregate these bus stops, and as you travel at, through interstate commerce, that it's unlawful for you to, to segregate and have white-only lunch counters or white-only bathrooms, all of this stuff. But that was still alive and well in the South. So they came up with this idea. CORE came up with this idea. Jim Farmer was kind of the, uh, the head of CORE at that point in time. And, and, and they said, we're going to travel through the South and we're going to have blacks and whites riding together, men and women riding together. And we're going to go and we're going to test these laws to see if they're really held up. And they, and they, they expected to run into some confrontation. As a matter of fact, they trained themselves on how to nonviolently handle violence. That when somebody pushed them, that they didn't, they didn't respond in any way negatively. When somebody drugged them by their neck, that they did not respond negatively. That they just took it, if you will nonviolence was how they were going to exercise their protest that was their their motives that was their mo that's what they that's how they did it and they they actually trained themselves if somebody comes up to you and says you can't sit there then they were to respond and say legally i'm allowed to and that's how they would respond they would not respond with violence so their idea was to set out from washington dc and travel to new orleans louisiana and it was, they were going to start out on May the 4th and supposed to arrive in, in Louisiana and New Orleans on May the 17th, which was supposed to be the anniversary of the Brown versus Board of Education, which says that segregation in schools is unconstitutional. So there was going to be a celebration of them getting there on May the 17th, and they were going to celebrate all this to say, okay, yes, we have traveled through the interstate and we've brought awareness to our federal government that there is still segregation in the South. So they started out on their journey, made it through Georgia. They made it down to the, in the south. They made it through Georgia, Augusta, Atlanta. They got to um, Atlanta, and they took two separate buses. One was a Trailways bus. One was a Greyhound bus. And the Ku Klux Klan got word that this was happening. They knew when they were going to be coming through. And what they said is we got a little surprise for them when they get to Alabama. On Mother's Day, on Mother's Day, May the 14th, the Ku Klux Klan organized and came to, or they were organized in Anniston, Alabama, and came to the bus stop that's now, it's not the old bus stop that a lot of us remember, it's actually on Gurney Avenue, it's actually a a national monument now. And the Ku Klux Klan had a plan to stop the bus once it got there. I think we've got a picture of it we're going to put up on the screen. Their plan was to have one of the KKK members lay down in front of the bus so the bus couldn't go anywhere once it got there. When the bus got there, there were over 200 KKK members there surrounding the bus, busting out the windows. They had pipes, they had chains, whatever they could get to to beat somebody with. That's what they had. So the bus pulled up and and they see this angry mob there. And one of the KKK members lays down in front of the bus so it can't go anywhere. And, of course, the people in there are terrified, right? Thirteen Freedom Riders on this bus, a mix of black and white and men and women, and they, um, they are there on the bus, and they stop for a few minutes at the bus stop in Anniston. Well, while they're there, the, 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 the members of the mob gash the tires on the bus. Like I said, they beat out the windows and screaming awful terrible things that i will not repeat from the pulpit on mother's day on mother's day the accounts actually say many of them still in their church clothes many of them still in their church clothes when this happened on gurney avenue do you know that it was only one block from the police station in anniston and it took them over 15 minutes to respond It tells you something was going on in the local governments that was not okay. Am I right? You see this repeatedly throughout this whole process that we're going to talk about. So so finally the bus is able to pull off. And they think, okay, we're free, we're good. And then they hear this terrible noise, this racket. And they're like, oh, no. And they know exactly what it is. The tires on the bus are going flat. There are cars from the KKK members that have swerved in front of the bus and trying to slow it down. Well, finally, the bus has to come to a stop because the tires are completely flat, and it comes to a stop out on Highway 202. It was called the Birmingham Highway. It's how people used to get to Birmingham back in the day. So it comes to a stop, and the driver gets out to look at the tires. Well, as soon as that happens, then the angry mob storms the bus. They followed them out there, and they they storm the bus, and they start pounding on the bus, and then... The worst possible thing you can imagine actually happens and somebody says, throw it in. Throw it in. Burn them alive. Somebody takes something, it's, it's gas-filled rags or something, they throw it inside the bus and the bus catches fire. The bus catches fire. Well, they're surrounding the bus so that the people can't get out because they're wanting to burn them alive on Mother's Day in their church clothes. And the people can't get out. They're choking because the smoke is just horrendous inside the bus. Finally, the the, the bus is so consumed with flames and the smoke is so horrendous that that the KKK members, the mob, just kind of back away from the bus. And sure enough, the people are then able to just kind of crawl out of the bus, some of them choking, some of them crawl out of windows, fall out of windows just so they can get away from the flames. And we've got a picture of the bus we'll put up here too. This is a picture most of you have probably seen if you've ever looked at any of the stuff around Anniston. This is where the, the plaque on Highway 202, this is where this actually happened. And the bus is completely consumed in flames. The people, while they're outside the bus, they're beaten. They're bloodied. Finally, the cops show up and kind of break up the situation. After all this has happened, the cops show up and, and, and they're taken to the hospitals, the people that need to be taken to hospitals. This happened May the 14th, Mother's Day, 1961. Well, the story doesn't end there. The story only begins there. And I think we need to know the whole story. See, what happened was, you remember I said there were two buses. One was a Greyhound bus, one was a Trailways bus, right? Well, the Trailways bus didn't even know that this was happening in Aniston. They didn't know that this had happened. They actually, the Trailways bus got to Anniston, and they were met by a smaller mob, and they met some resistance, but they kept going on to Birmingham, right? This bus, by the way, they they don't know where it is now. It was taken away, and there's some replicas in existence, but the actual original bus, they don't know where it is. It just kind of disappeared. The Trailways bus comes through Anniston, and they get to Birmingham. When they get to Birmingham, you know that they are met with another angry mob in Birmingham on Mother's Day? They're standing all around the bus station. And as soon as, as, soon as the, the black and the white riders, freedom riders come into the bus station, they look around and they say they're just covered up. And it doesn't take long at all before a riot ensues and they just start wailing on the people, the freedom riders that have gotten off the bus. They're just beating them to a bloody pulp. We've got a picture of that too. This is an actual picture. Now, see, something you need to know is that when photographers started taking these pictures and the media got a hold of what was going on, these people were angry at the media, too, because they didn't want the whole world to know what was going on in the South. And they, they were just beaten. I mean, I'm talking about just uh, just stitches and people beaten unconscious and just blood everywhere. And you know how long it, it took the, the Birmingham police? It took them 15 minutes. It says as if, as if they were waiting on some signal that all the beating was done, and they were done, and they just kind of walked off, and the Birmingham police came in. who was head up at that time by a, name, uh, by a guy by the name of Bull Connor, who was a huge segregationist. These people were beaten and bloodied on the floor in this Birmingham bus station, And finally, the police show up and say, okay, enough's enough. Y'all get out of here. Well, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. They're taken to hospitals. They're fixed up in the hospitals there in Birmingham, and they have a little meeting. They say, okay, all right, Freedom Riders, what do you want to do? We've heard about what happened in Anniston. We know what happened to us. What do we want to do? And they say, we want to continue our journey. We want to keep going on to New Orleans because that's what we set out to do. And no matter how much violence is inflicted upon us, we we will not let them stop us. So they get ready to get on the buses. And the buses say, we don't have any drivers to drive you because you may be freedom riders, but we're just people with families. And we're not driving these buses because our lives are going to be in danger if we drive these buses. So they couldn't find any drivers to drive the buses. So they're stuck. They're stuck. Well, at that point in time, John F. Kennedy was the president of the United States, and Robert Kennedy was the U.S. Attorney General, okay? They were kind of in a quandary because they were trying to let the state governments handle this, and the state governments do what they needed to do to protect these people. The state governments were incredibly unhappy. The governor, John Patterson of Alabama, was incredibly unhappy about these people deciding to take these rides through the South. And, and basically stir up trouble, is what he said. Well, the federal government is trying to wait on the state governments to do something. Well, the state governments are obviously dropping the ball. They don't even care what's going on. They don't care that these people are being beaten and bloodied and all this kind of stuff, these terrible things that are going on. Well, finally, the federal government has to get involved. John F. Kennedy is, is about to go to Vienna uh, for a conference uh, with Khrushchev. And he's trying to just kind of sweep this under the rug because what has happened is this news has traveled all over the world. Headlines in Russia and all across the world, in in Cuba, different places say, land of the free. And then pictures of people being beaten and their buses bombed. They were mocking us. They were mocking us. Is the land of the free really free? Let's take a look. Let's look at the United States. And John F. Kennedy's trying to sweep it under the road. He's like, look, do what you got to do to get rid of this thing. This is, they, they, they did not do a good thing by deciding that they wanted to do this. So um, Robert Kennedy, the Attorney General, sends John Siegenthaler down to kind of control the situation. Well, John Siegenthaler gets there, and he goes to the airport, and he meets all the, the Freedom Riders, the ones from Anderson, the ones from Birmingham, and says, okay, well, we want, we want to take them down to New Orleans on a flight. Okay. Well, he had to get involved because when they originally made the request to take them on a flight, they got a bomb threat and the people were just going through this another angry mob to get on the plane. People throwing bricks at them and yelling all kinds of obscenities at them. They get on the plane, they're thinking they're going to leave and go to New Orleans, but what happens is they get a bomb threat on the plane and they have to get back off and go through the angry mob once again. John Siegenthaler comes down A representative from the US federal government carrying the message of Robert Kennedy and says hey we got to get them on a plane and finally the the airlines concede and they take them on a plane to New Orleans okay they get to New Orleans John Siegenthaler says he gets to his hotel after having gone through all this all day trying to get the airplane to take him down to New Orleans he gets a phone call in his hotel room that says you're not gonna believe this you're not gonna believe what's happening There's a lady in Nashville. Her name is Diane Nash. And she is organizing a group of Freedom Riders to come down from Nashville and continue the Freedom Rides. They refuse to stop. John Siegenthaler gets on the telephone, and he tries to find Diane Nash. He gets her on the phone. He says, ma'am, you don't understand. People are going to get killed. You don't understand how terrible this is going to be if you continue to take these freedom rides. And she said, sir, we cannot let violence win, and we cannot stop these rides He said, lady, you're going to get somebody killed. And he's screaming at her on the phone. You're going to get somebody killed by doing this. She said, sir, you don't understand. Last night, all of us that are going to be taking the freedom ride from Nashville, all of us have signed our last will and testament. We understand what's at stake here. Every one of us that gets on that bus, we have signed our last will and testament last night. So on May the 17th, I remember Mother's Day was on the 14th, May the 17th, which is a Wednesday, they head down from Nashville. And, and obviously it doesn't go well. They get, to, they get to Birmingham. They're arrested by Bull Connor. Bull Connor that night takes them up to the Tennessee state line and drops them off in the middle of nowhere. They look at Bull Connor and said, we will see you by high noon the Freedom Rides are not going to stop. So they organize again. They come back down. This time, the federal government has to get involved, and they've got state troopers that finally get involved, and they're, they're like trying to get them, uh, get them going. They get to Montgomery. They get to Montgomery, and, and all the, the protection kind of peels away, and and all of this kind of stuff, and the Montgomery local police are supposed to take over the protection of the Freedom Riders once they get into the Montgomery city limits. Well, there's nothing. And of course, they get to Montgomery, and they find what else but another angry mob. This time, the mob not only takes it out on, on the Freedom Riders and beat them to a bloody pulp, They also knock John Siegenthaler, who is there representing the U.S. government. They knock him unconscious and shove him under a car. On top of that, they also take it out on the news media who is there. They start breaking their cameras and hitting the news people that are there because they don't want this message getting out about how they are and what they're all about. John Siegenthaler says that he was in his car and, 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 and this woman was being beat right outside of his car. She was just being beat with lead pipes and stuff on her head. And, and she was holding on to the frame of the door, looking at him through the glass. And, and, and he's like, ma'am, get in the car. Get in the car. And she says, sir, you need to get out of here. I'm trained to handle this. You need to leave before you get hurt. And John Siegenthaler there shortly after gets knocked unconscious. What happens is that there is an orga- there's a group of people, Freedom Riders included, that, that actually meet in the First Baptist Church of Montgomery that night. And they got to figure out what they're going to do. Martin Luther King and several other the, the, the civil rights leaders show up to that meeting at the First Baptist Church in Montgomery. They say, what are we going to do? Well, while they're having this meeting, an angry mob forms outside and starts breaking windows... They, they, I mean, they're just waiting for the people to come outside the, the church. And, and Martin Luther King Jr. makes the announcement, please do not leave the church. And they're in there for hours, and it's getting hot. And, and, and things are just escalating and escalating. The mob outside is growing and growing. And Martin Luther King Jr. makes a phone call to the U.S. Attorney General Robert Kennedy and says, look, you have got to do something. You've got to do something. And at that point in time, the federal government gets involved And the Freedom Riders are actually able to continue their journey from Montgomery. A lot of things happen in there. I won't go into all those details, but a lot of things happen there. And they're able to continue. The U.S. Marshals actually break up the mob around the church. The people are actually able to get out of the church. The Freedom Riders continue, and they're going now. Their next stop is Mississippi. Now, here's what the Freedom Riders know. That Alabama is bad, but Mississippi is worse. So if you go to Mississippi, you know you're going to meet a lot of resistance. You know you're going to meet a lot of violence. So they get federal protection going to uh, the state line. they got state troopers, helicopters, everything. And when they get to the state line, that all fades away. And it's kind of this one Greyhound bus headed to Jackson, Mississippi. When they get to Jackson, Mississippi, they of course, they... Come into a lunch counter, a waiting area that is separated, whites only, and they go in, blacks and whites together, and they are arrested immediately. They are arrested immediately. They say that it's for their own protection, but they are arrested And when they are arrested, they are put in one of the worst prisons. If you want to consider the old chain gang prisons that you have in your mind, they're put in Parchment in Mississippi, which is one of those worst prisons that you can be put in in Mississippi. They are arrested and put in jail. And what do they say? That's okay. That's okay. We're not going to stop coming. We're not going to stop coming. They used to sing a song. The buses are a-coming. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And they would sing it to the guards because they knew they knew that, 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 um, that it was going to drive them crazy. And they used to sing that song. They're like, They're, we're already in prison. What are, we going to, what are they going to do to us for singing, you know? And then the guards said, if you don't stop singing, we're going to take away your mattresses. And they would sing, You Can Take Away Our Mattresses, oh yeah, oh yeah. And they kept coming, and they kept coming. They said, They kept singing, and they kept singing. I said, If you don't stop singing, we're gonna take away your toothbrushes. So they said, Then they would sing, You Can Take Our Toothbrushes, oh yeah, oh yeah. Do you know that over 400 Freedom Riders came down and were in prison. And we got a picture of, of some of them that were blacks and whites alike. Do you know that, that <laughs> I, I was watching one documentary on this and, and, and they, were, they were arresting the Freedom Riders and they were putting them in a paddy wagon, you know, the old school paddy wagons, they are putting them in there and, and <laughs> one of the Freedom Riders came up and tapped one, of, tapped one of the police on the shoulder. He said, excuse me, sir, I'm with them. So he could get into the paddy wagon with them. He said that police officer looked at him like, what are you doing, man? Eventually what happened after all of these Freedom Riders are arrested and put in parchment Prison in Mississippi, eventually the ICC, the Interstate Commerce Commission, declared that, that what they were doing was unconstitutional. It was, it was unacceptable. They couldn't do that anymore, and the whites-only signs came down. This is less than a month away after all this started happening um, the ICC made a declaration said, you can't have segregation at your lunch counters. You can't have segregation in your waiting rooms. You can't have segregation in your bathrooms. And the ICC made this declaration, and that is kind of, li- kind of the, the final straw, and that is where the, the Freedom Riders got their victory. And they did it all nonviolently, even though they were met with violence. Now, I told you a very long story, Right? And you're like, oh no, he's going to preach now. I think it's important for us to look at this in the context of what God's Word says. Because these people were supposedly Christian extremists. The Ku Klux Klan were Christian extremists doing this because they felt like this is what they were supposed to do. Let's look at what God's Word actually says. In 1 John chapter 3, it says this in verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Love one another. This is the message that Jesus said right before he was to go to the cross and be beaten and bloody for all of us and all of our sins. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And here, John reiterates what Jesus has said. He says, we should love one another. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, your brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. Now, one thing I want you to know: you say, well, where are these freedom riders, Christians? Eventually uh, they started having people of different faiths come and take freedom rides, but the initial ones, the ones that came down from Nashville, they were from Fisk University. And, and a lot of them went on to be pastors. A lot of them were, were Uh, seminary students that went on to to do things in, in gospel ministry. So these were Christians that were coming down, and here they are being beaten and bloodied and cursed at and called terrible things by other Christians, if you want to call them that. Well, see, what I want you to know is that if there is malice in your heart, then God's Word says you can't be a Christian. You're not really a Christian. Is said, if we love our Christians and brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life, but a person who has no love is still dead, meaning they're still dead in their trespasses and sins, meaning they're not reborn, meaning they're not a Christian. Now, we always want to compare ourselves to righteous living, right? And in 1 John, he does that. John says, okay, there's two indications whether or not you're a Christ follower or not. One is righteous living. The other is, do you love people? Do you love people? John says, if you do not love, it means that you have not passed from death to life. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. He says, you know what? If you have hate and malice in your heart, then you are a murderer. If you do not have love in your heart, you are a murderer. What's the difference between hate and murder? The only difference is the outward expression of it, right? Your actions. The heart is still the same, but it's the actions that are different. He says, so at the heart, at the heart, you're a murderer if you have hate. If you do not have love, you're a murderer. That's some strong words, but it's words that John wrote because he wanted them to be strong. He wanted us to understand the value of love. He wanted us to understand how important love is if you are a Christian. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. He says the opposite is true for love. You don't have murder in your heart. You don't have hate in your heart. You have love, but you have such love that it's sacrificial love. Jesus said, no greater love hath a man than he lay down his life for his brother, right? Sacrificial love is the kind of love that we're supposed to have. It's supposed to be so extreme that it's supposed to be sacrificial to the point that we're willing to die for our brothers and sisters. And we have heard... Stories about people that have attacked shooters coming into their schools or their colleges and and how they have laid down their lives for their brothers. He says, that's the kind of mentality we're supposed to have. That's what Christ living looks like. That's what real love looks like. He says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also. So that's us too ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and see a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? John goes on to take it a step further. He says, you think that you're loving, you think that you really love, and you think that you're living sacrificially, but how, how does that go when you look at somebody else in need? When you see somebody else in need, how are you responding to it? There are some people that did not come to church last week because they did not want to pack meals for people that we do not know. There are some people that intentionally stayed away from church because they didn't want to do that. I don't get it. I don't, get, I don't understand how you call yourself a Christian if that's you. And that may hurt somebody's feelings and I don't care. How do you look at somebody in need and say, I love that person, but you're not willing to do anything about it? There's no compassion in your heart. How can you possibly be a Christian? How can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth So we will be confident when we stand before God. I gave you a very long story today about the Freedom Riders and what they did. I gave you a very long story too about the KKK and what they did and how tragic it was to to see people hate another human being that way. And you say to yourself, well... I understand that that's the way things were and people were blinded to the truth back then. They were, they were blinded to, uh, to... It was just the way things were and they didn't really see them. And, and I even heard people say that, you know, they, they had slaves back in those days that would take care of the family and, and they just didn't even notice them. It was like that they were completely blind to the fact that they were even there. If you were a Christian, if you were a cross, Christ follower... Love is not blind. Your eyes are wide open. Your eyes are wide open to what love truly is because you have seen it through God's Son, Jesus Christ. You have seen what real love looks like. You have seen the sacrifice that was made for each and every one of us. You have seen the love that was poured out for us on the cross. If that does not stir you, if that does not shake you to your core, there is something wrong. But beyond that, but beyond that, when you look around this world and you see the hurt and you see the need and you see all the things that are going on and you see everything that, 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 that is going on that, where people are desperately in need, but it does not stir you in your heart, how can God's love be in you? How can God's love possibly in, be in you if you don't see that and have compassion? If you don't see that, and it doesn't stir you. If you don't see that, and it doesn't cause you too to have sacrificial love because you are Christ-like. You are like your Savior Jesus Christ who had sacrificial love for you. Today's Mother's Day. And and one thing I know about mamas is that they would do anything for their kids, right? I mean they would happily give their life for their kids, I know that. That's the way mamas are, That's, that's how they're wired. My question is, you know that kind of love that a mom has for a kid? She would do anything and she would do anything to to, to stop somebody that was trying to attack another person or, or attack one of her children. You see that kind of love that exists between a mom and a child? Do you know that that's exactly the way that we're supposed to feel about our brothers and sisters? We're supposed to have that kind of extreme love for our brothers and sisters in such a way that we will do anything to take care of them. We will do anything to live sacrificially for them. We would put our lives down for them that is the way that we're supposed to live it's the complete opposite of what they saw on Mother's Day May the 14th, 1961 we're supposed to be different my question to you today is are you different? is there a real genuine change? is there really uh, your life is really turned upside down in the way that you love if it's not if it's not you really need to examine yourself examine your heart and look and see how much love is really in there because the love of God may not be in there there's some people today that are just hurting because it's Mother's Day and people hurt on Mother's Day and that's just reality I want you to know today that God loves you for those of you that you look and you say man God's love is not in me I want you to know that God loves you some of you are, are, are looking at all the things that we've said today and the pictures we put up there and you're, you're broken by that and it hurts you to see that you say man I want to be an instrument of change in this world God loves you. Maybe today you just need to cry to your Savior and thank Him for His love and thank Him for His sacrificial love. The fact that He put that love in you. God loves you. God loves you. If I were to see some of those men that threw that firebomb into that bus that day, you know what I would tell them? God loves you. God loves you. And Jesus died for you. Thank you, Lord, for Mother's Day and thank you for the testimony of mothers and the kind of love that they exhibit in their lives and, Lord, the kind of love that they have for their children. And, Lord, I just know that you tell us in your word that we are to have that kind of love for our brothers and sisters. We are to have that kind of love for people. And, Lord, if we don't, then there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Today, maybe, God, you have have shown somebody today in their heart there's something wrong. I pray, Lord, that they would come to your cross today. They would experience your love fully. They would understand, God, how much you sacrificed for them and how you gave your life so they might be set free. Lord, today I pray that you're glorified. Lord, I know that today's message was heavy and and, and complicated in so many ways, but God, I know that you put it on my heart for a reason and, and you brought the people here to hear it for a reason. Now, God, you through your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do the work. Lord, please, Jesus, restore hearts, show people how much you love them. God, show them the way to the cross. God, I pray that you do a great work today, that we would be obedient to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name.